there's a saying in life, uh, whether it's in a football game, a baseball game, tennis match, or whatever, don't blow. Always be magnanimous in victory, even when those victories are small, because you never know how your rival, enemy, or whatever is going to react, what they're going to do. Tagalog in the Philippines, they have a term called katumbeli, which means opponent, basically. In this continued crisis that the world is seeing with a war on the ground in Europe, as a 64-kilometer, 40-mile-long column of troops and tanks head into an area in uh, uh, Kiev in the Ukraine. The question is, where and how will this impact the people who are there? What is the price that is going to be paid as tanks roll on the other side the United States is rolling with sanctions but what do sanctions mean and what will the reprisal or reaction be to those sanctions whatever they are Ned Pierce the uh, or Ned Price rather the State Department spokesman tweeted out this uh, about four hours ago my time here in New York City. We're already starting to see effects of sanctions on Russia. One, rubble has fallen in value, worth, and one said two, S&P downgraded Russia's sovereign debt to junk status three. Russian stock market is closed until at least March 5th. So that is what the State Department is, you know, poised to say about victory. But, is it really a victory yet? It's just stages. Stages of something that's probably going to take a very, very long time. While this is going on, thousands of Russian vehicles are rolling on the highways of Ukraine, headed towards Kiev, with no way to stop them. Because we didn't give them enough javelins, and they don't have enough money provide for those many vehicles coming in. You know what it's like to have a 64 kilometer long column of vehicles? If you look at the satellite videos, it's not just one road. Those are on multiple fronts. They're rolling. And it's not just vehicles going one way, but they're headed into a major city. Currently, they're about 10 kilometers, six miles out of the city itself. Where it will end is what many people are wondering. The reports on the 40 mile long or 64 kilometer long convoy of Russian troops, tanks, and armored vehicles headed towards Kiev is probably growing more and more online. The satellite companies in the American firm, and it has released the images, they say, to give a visual reference for people to see exactly what is out there. They're private American satellite companies. When I was working with Jane's Defense, they uh, uh, had these uh, services that they were offering to, to countries. Typically, uh, the country that 
they tried to walk with this too. It was about a million dollars a year. They provide satellite images, real-time information for uh, disasters, uh, terrorism situations, uh, war, other issues like this, from commercial satellites that are in orbit and uh, show the imagery of what is happening, what is moving, what is there. It helps governments a lot, especially those governments that cannot afford to have their own satellite system. However, these uh, systems are also available for media, and uh, often they uh, advertise them uh, to media. We're going to go to a television station. Uh, this is News 19 WTX, as they talk about these satellite images and how media is looking at them and how people are viewing them this evening in the United States. And what does it mean to see such a massive convoy column rolling down the highway? towards Kiev, if you're in the Ukraine. By the way, two days ago, Russian government television and radio have constantly been announcing and calling for civilians to leave Kiev. Something to think about as to what is coming. Sirens sounded in Kyiv Monday night as a massive Russian military convoy moved within 17 miles. A U.S. defense official says forces could surround Ukraine's capital city within days, but that's still behind schedule. The Russians have not only experienced a stiff and determined resistance by the Ukrainians, uh, but logistics and sustainment problems of their own. Russia shelled the country's second largest city, Kharkiv, the attacks did not slow after five hours of talks between Ukrainian and Russian delegates. They planned to meet again soon. Russia again warned its nuclear forces were on high alert. And we think provocative rhetoric like this regarding nuclear weapons is dangerous, adds to the risk of miscalculation. The U.S. informed the United Nations it will expel 12 diplomats from Russia's mission to the U.N., accusing them of espionage. The U.N. General Assembly started meeting for a rare emergency special session, the first in 40 years. Now we can save Ukraine, save the United Nations, save democracy. Lawmakers received a classified briefing on the crisis as they looked to President Biden's State of the Union address to learn more about the administration's request for billions of dollars in aid for Ukraine. Moscow's airport was quiet Monday as some European countries close off their airspace to Russian planes and economic sanctions weigh heavier, including war imposed by the U.S. on Russia's central bank. Standard & Poor's cut Russia's credit rating to junk status and the ruble fell 30 percent, worth less than a penny. The humanitarian toll of the crisis keeps escalating with Ukrainians packing Kyiv's train station and refugees streaming across the border. Natalie Brandt, CBS News, Capitol Hill. So that was Natalie Brandt, you know, reporting on, on that situation. And, and obviously the situation is uh, very different in different parts of the world. I, I wanted to, you know, hear that so people could, could have an idea of what the average American or the average person in the United States is hearing about this situation. And, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the whole thing with uh, this is we've been looking at this from, from, you know, various perspectives over the last few days. Some people are saying, well, why do you keep focusing on this? It's not happening in New York City. 
it's not happening in the United States. Well, it's not happening here, but it is affecting here. It's probably one of the top two stories. Well, let's just to bring you the latest satellite seeing, imagery uh, you that know, we have received. What is, what is happening? Yeah, we, we already saw the satellite imagery. Uh, uh, what's her name? Yeah, I used to report to her on Sky News years ago. But, uh, you know, there, there definitely is a lot more information that is coming in. In Chicago, um, they're talking about it also, which is ironic, considering that city has basically been a war zone for the last two decades or so. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things going on. If you look at ABC News, they have imagery on the tags of a, very classic, beautiful uh, government building. I think this is in, in uh, Kharkiv, uh, which is uh, the second largest city of uh, Ukraine. And uh, the image shows a uh, uh, building, a uh, very classic uh, European uh, building, and behind it, smoke billowing, rising. So you, you have that. Um, other places, of course, are, are showing the, the different imagery um as uh you know this this is going on you 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 look around and you see much of our videos here in the united states and yet the sources are primarily you know about three different ones they, they have this american um sharing system where you know all the tv networks and all the tv stations basically share certain materials on a uh, on a cooperative uh, venture, which which they subscribe into or buy into, and then there's uh, there's other services which are done by the Associated Press, by the Reuters news agency. There's independent providers of video, and uh, you know you see a lot of this. But the sad reality is, it's very limiting. You know, you search on this in uh, the internet, uh, whether it's uh, you know, the, the Google-based searches or, or other searches and other video services. And the first thing they show you is, you know, 20 to 30 different reports of the same thing, which does not really give you a lot of options. There's there's not a lot of, uh, of options as far as seeing what is out there. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it seems to be that, that many of these sources are being, you know, what... You at one time had the advantage of, of being able to look at uh, is is no longer available online or is uh, is being blocked primarily uh, for for the reason that uh, you know they don't want to allow they say propaganda from the uh, uh, Russian side to to come in you know so you you look at these things and and uh, you hear it and you see it, uh, you know, um, there is uh, issues that, that are being raised and uh, what exactly is going on. Now, if you listen to the different stories and topics, you often find that there are uh, the other side not being heard in this conflict. And why we keep putting it out there we do not, in any stretch of the imagination, agree with what is happening or what President Putin is doing uh, of Russia. This is an invasion of another country. In some instances, they have been accused of war crimes. The International Criminal Court is uh, coming out with uh, possible charges against 
President Putin, probably for the 10th or 20th time. But the International Criminal Court also has charges against many other world leaders, including President Xi of China, President Trump and Bush and Obama of the United States, uh, probably even President Biden, for all we know. The thing is, not all countries in the world, Ukraine included, are members of the International Criminal Court. So President Zelensky and President Putin can charge each other or have proxies charge each other in the International Criminal Court. And it doesn't really mean anything because those countries do not really fall under the jurisdiction of the ICC if they are not signatories to the treaty that creates that criminal court. That said, let's listen to what uh, they're saying in Russia at this moment. And here is uh, a very interesting press conference that's coming out from the finance ministry of Russia on the impact of sanctions on them. President Zelensky did not tell you the truth, but simply lied to you. President Zelensky mentioned negotiations in at least two dimensions. First, when he categorically refused to comply with the Minsk agreements and all the time appealed to his Western patrons with an appeal to convene the Normandy format both with or without reason. He hasn't given any guarantees that these meetings would have any results. These calls were aimed at replacing the concrete work that was required of President Zelensky in order to implement the agreements reached during previous rounds of negotiations. And the second example, when President Zelensky called for negotiations, are his calls for negotiations to be held on the matter of joining NATO to provide him with security guarantees through NATO. It was all open and quite recently on everyone's lips. In the same row, there were also threats that Ukraine, if it is not protected in accordance with the Budapest Memorandum, will be free from obligations not to have nuclear weapons. I hope that everyone has read the Budapest Memorandum. There is no obligation to recognize anti-state coups. There is no obligation to meet the regime that declared genocide against the happiness of its own people, speaking out against the Russian language, against Russian education against many things that are directly related to Russian culture and are an essential part of modern Ukrainian society. Therefore, there is no shortage of opportunities that were missed by President Zelensky. We proposed discussing security guarantees last December, and he was well aware of this. There was only one condition, to fulfill the requirements of the agreements that were signed at the highest level within the framework of the OSCE, so that no one tries to strengthen their security at the expense of the security of others. He did not want to fulfill this obligation, just as his Western patrons. And everyone said that the freedom to choose an alliance as a means of ensuring Ukrainian security is sacred. Therefore, he is now telling you lies when he declares that he is ready to discuss the neutral status. We offered all kinds of security options. President Putin said bluntly, NATO expansion is unacceptable, but we want to work together to find security options that will guarantee appropriate opportunities for Ukraine for European countries and, of course, for the Russian Federation. Our security initiatives of last December are aimed specifically to search for a guarantee beyond the expansion of military political blocs, primarily NATO. Therefore, President Zelensky is well aware of the missed opportunities. We do not see the possibility of recognizing as democratic a government that oppresses and applies genocidal methods to its own people. Do democratic societies ban the usage of a language spoken by the majority of the population? Do democracies ban education in the Russian language or any language spoken by society? 
Could it ban using mother tongue in everyday life, for example, in shops and hotels? And is it customary in a democratic society to say that the people who now live in one particular part of the country are not people, not humans, but specimen, as President Zelensky put it? So, you know, these are, of course, claims that are made by the Russian government, their basis for their invasion. Uh, they claim that the people who live there are being mistreated, but they were not really welcomed with people, you know, at the streets running out with Russian flags welcoming them as liberators. It seems to be the exact opposite is happening uh, in many cases and places. Uh, in Kharkiv, in uh, other areas, uh, you've basically been seeing a lot of even uh, supposedly what, what we would call ethnic Russians. Because actually Ukrainians, Russians are all of one stock. Uh, Polish Lithuania was, was the country that was created there when uh, uh, up to, I believe, the year was uh, 1793 when Catherine the Great decided, uh, you know, uh, she was going to take away um, uh, a certain section of Poland, and they basically partitioned the country, the uh, kingdom of Poland, uh, between, you know, uh, uh, Prussia, uh, which is which was the German state of Prussia, uh, took one section, and Austro-Hungary took another section, and then Russia, uh, Imperial Russia, took another section. And that was in 1793. It just it essentially disappeared from the map. Is, is what happened to uh, uh, to it, and that was in 1793. It also was under Polish Lithuania uh, from 1417, when the last prince of Ukraine um, uh, passed away. Uh, the, the last prince there was, in fact, it wasn't even called Ukraine; it was called uh, Kiev. Uh, you know, the the uh, Kievian state. Uh, prior to that, uh, at about 1000 AD, there was an area called uh, uh, the Kievian Rus, and from the Kievian Rus grew eventually settlements that later became Russia. So actually, if you really look at it going back more than 1000 and uh, uh, plus years uh, AD, you know, after the death of Jesus Christ, or what is accepted as Death of Jesus Christ under under the calendar we're under. Um, this is uh, this is basically uh, a battle between, shall we say, distant, very distant, or maybe very close cousins. Um, a lot of people would not want to admit that, just like Japanese, Koreans, and Chinese don't want to admit that they essentially have the same DNA stock. Uh, if you say that out loud, in some places, uh, you may have as big a problem as if you say that. Well, uh, you know, the Irish keep fighting amongst each other. The only difference between them is their religion, because if you actually look at their DNA, many of them are brother and sister. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's another story you don't want to get into with the Irish, especially with St. Patrick's Day coming up. You know, you don't, you don't want to be talking about the Irish. It can be a problem, uh, you know, so they say. Anyhow, we will return shortly with more as we continue our coverage of this crisis in Ukraine. All news is local, so let's listen in as uh, uh, Frank Morano over on WABC interviews uh, Andrew Giuliani, that's really Giuliani's son, who uh, also served in uh, the uh, uh, Trump administration for four years at the White House. 
and uh, is is well versed on what it takes to run things in New York, making his first bid to run for governor. We're going to listen to him as uh, he gets on on the other side of midnight. I'm just going to take a little excerpt out of it. I'm not going to give you the entire interview, but I'm going to let it run for a little while so y'all can uh, listen, hear, find out what's going on and what's up. We're also going to have some of the other gubernatorial candidates uh, for New York State on here. Obviously, this is a New York-based podcast, so naturally we're going to be putting that in. I do have other governorship candidates that I wanted to talk to and whatnot but unfortunately uh, most of those are in the philippines and the time difference is getting to be a problem um hopefully we can get some of them soon so uh with frank morano the other side of midnight on wabc here he is now uh andrew giuliani who's uh on here for this interview andrew thanks so much for joining me on the radio Frank, always great to be on with you. And I'll tell you what's exciting. You are the first interview we're doing as it's officially petitions beginning right now, as a matter of fact. So we're very excited about that. Happy to uh, happy to announce it right on your show here. Petitions are beginning today. Now, we'll, we'll talk about that. But if someone wants to volunteer to circulate petitions or if somebody wants to sign your petition to get on the ballot, you need a minimum of 15,000, which in New York political circles probably means you need closer to 30 or 45,000. If people want to do that, what's the best way for them to sign up to volunteer or sign up to have someone come take their petition signature? Best best thing to do is just email us at jobs at nyforgiuliani.com. You can also go on our website and click the volunteer button uh, and sign up right there. Uh, you know, we, we've had a, a really, really strong response for the volunteers all around the state. I mean, we're getting it everywhere from Erie County to Richmond County, your home county there, Frank. Uh, we are seeing it everywhere, and we're very excited. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, an event going on in Richmond County this afternoon where people can actually meet you and uh, some other guy with the name Giuliani that people might be familiar <laughs> with. But I know your your wife is of uh, Lithuanian descent, and uh, just last year you lost your mother-in-law. How is she viewing, and how are you viewing as somebody that you know has family in the region, the events that we're seeing in Eastern Europe and Ukraine, especially, and uh, the the concern that uh, the Baltic states are right on the front front line of what's what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. Well, it's very concerning, and uh, you know, one of the things that I was talking to this today with my wife in terms of you know what is what is Putin's next step in all this, and you know what she said was was very simply this. Um, you know, you look at uh, Trump, and, and they, they've been giving Trump some hell for what he ended up saying, uh, you know, about Putin's genius or whatever it was. And she said, to be honest, I feel so, I felt so much more comfortable when Trump was in office for my family than I have with Biden in office or Obama. And, and the results are there, right? I mean, you look in the Obama administration, they annexed Crimea. Uh, for four years, the media told us that uh, Trump was owned by Putin, yet, he did nothing but put 31 different sanctions, would not approve the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, and Putin did take one step forward. And now just over a year in office uh, for Biden, and Putin is, is moving further into Ukraine as we speak. Um, it's a very, very scary time right now in Eastern Europe, and, uh, and I know uh, my family there, uh, they're very concerned looking at what his next step is. 
I know I can imagine. Well, best of luck uh, to uh, her family and to uh, everybody that uh, that she knows out there. Now, you're running for governor. Uh, there's a very competitive Republican contest. The convention is going on right now. For people that are hearing about your candidacy for their for the first time or really don't necessarily know what you're all about, what boil your campaign down to the biggest three issues or the biggest three themes. Why are you running for governor and what kind of governor are you going to be? Well, first and foremost, right, it's reducing crime. We have to make sure on day one as governor, we repeal bail reform. Looking at Kathy Hochul's State of the Union speech, State of the State speech uh, a little over a month ago, she would not mention bail reform or cashless bail. Shows how out of touch she actually is. So for us, that's a primary issue. We need to get crime under control and stop the war on cops on day one. Uh, secondly, and I would say just as important, I mean, thank goodness we're starting to see these mask mandates rolled back. Uh, but what about the people that have lost their jobs because of the vaccine mandates? Well, look, on day one, we repeal the vaccine mandates and whatever mask mandates are remaining. Let's hope to God that there aren't any remaining uh, on January 1st of next year. But also, I want to make this pledge to all New Yorkers. Anybody who lost their job because of these mandates will get their job back with back pay. Uh, and third, I would say, you know, it's, it's education, right? You look at uh, the lack of choice that we have in schools in New York. I mean, we have a charter school cap at 460 statewide because you've had Democratic politicians, Democratic governors, the last four of them, who have been beholden to the teachers union. By the end of my first term, I've pledged to get that cap over 1,000 and create a tax voucher system. That way dollars follow students and are not dictated by the bureaucracy. But look, just as importantly, right, we need to figure out from an economic standpoint how New York is a job creator again. Uh, that to me is, is just as important. That's through deregulation, that's through cutting taxes so we're competing with Florida rather than Texas or California, or we're competing with South, uh, Florida rather than California or Venezuela, I should say. Uh, so I mean, look, I would say those four issues uh, are kind of the main issues of our campaign. But, you know, just like anything in New York, right, you, you got to get crime under control. Uh, and you mentioned some other guy named Giuliani. He seemed to do a decent job of that in the 90s. <laughs> and that's true. And, of course, people can listen to him every day these days right here on WABC at, uh, at 3 p.m. where he's doing a great job on the radio. So the Republican convention is going on right now. Today they're expected to nominate a gubernatorial candidate, it's not expected to be you. They are expected to do the same thing that the conservative party did a few days ago and nominate uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin. Is there any chance that uh, after the convention endorses Lee Zeldin that you drop out of this race, maybe support his candidacy or choose to run for something else other than governor? We are, I've been looking at what the 2.9 million registered Republicans have been saying throughout this process here, Frank. And, and the exciting thing for us is there have been six statewide polls taken, and every single poll has us winning by double digits. The last poll, which came out just last week, had us up 20 points over Congressman Zeldin uh, and Rob Astorino. So for us, uh, we look at it and say, I believe that once we get our name on the ballot, we are the overwhelming favorite and we are going to be the nominee. You know, look, the congressman can be the presumptive nominee. He could be the designated nominee. I'll be the nominee come June 29th. Uh, you know, we're very excited in seeing uh, the results that we've seen in each and every single poll. And I think, Frank, that's because we've been able to connect with voters in a way that maybe my Republican friends and competitors have not. Well, that 
So that, of course, is uh, Andrew Giuliani. Uh, if you want to listen to more of that interview, it goes on for another probably 20 minutes. Uh, you can I'll put a link to the uh, uh, YouTube stream page where uh, the other side of midnight is on. Uh, that That is, of course, unless you want to go to the WABC website. And the reason we're putting this out, of course, is because we are going to be interviewing some of the gubernatorial candidates. I already actually have a speech, and 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 was spoke, speaking to uh, one of the one of the candidates. I have his notes note for me here in front of me. I also have a, a, a Republican congressional candidate from the 26th district. Uh, there are some other candidates as well who are running that we're going to be talking about, talking to, and trying to find out what's going on with them. And hopefully, 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 we will find also a candidate who will take it in the uh, race versus AOC here in the 14th uh, district and uh, get her out of the way because it is long overdue to have a real congressperson who really represents the goals and aspirations and uh, needs of the city that, that needs a working congressperson who creates jobs, who does things, who does traditional things that a congressperson does, and doesn't just look good for the candidate's, uh, you know, profile for what future position they want to go for. AOC, beautiful lady, you gotta, gotta admit that, you know, uh, but unfortunately she's ugly in the, her policies, and that is something that is just not resonating with many of the residents here in the district that she is a part of in New York City, a district that I am a resident of, Yes, I am a constituent, and definitely I am voting against her, and I encourage other New Yorkers, especially Filipino-Americans, pick somebody else, especially if you live in this district uh, here in Queens, where AOC is uh, a, a part of the uh, party structure. I'm Mike of New York. We'll come back with more.